All right, why don't we open up the Bible together? We're in the book of James. We have been in the book of James for a few weeks now, and we are in chapter 3 in our series, verse 1 to 12. James chapter 3, verse 1 to 12. This is, um, I'll be reading from the ESV version, and then Pastor Paul will come up and unpack this passage for us. James chapter 3, verse 1. Just a reminder as we read this, that this is the Word of God. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Verse 3, if we put bits into the mouths of horses, so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. There they are so large and are driven by strong winds. They are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pirate, pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Verse 7, for every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Amen. Um, Thanks, Peter, uh, for opening us up today. And again, a warm welcome to everyone. Uh, It's good to see everyone here, especially the new people who might have dropped by, or if you haven't been here for a while, it's extra special to have you. Um, I've got a friend here from Korea, uh, Matt. You might know him, Pastor Matt, uh, from Korea. And so if you know Matt, uh, go say hi to him later on. He's, he's visiting us from Korea. Um, but I thought a bunch of us would know him, and so I just want to mention him here. Uh, as Peter mentioned, we're going through the book of James. James is a very practical book. Uh, James is, as we heard last week, um, according to Martin Luther, he called it an epistle of straw. He didn't really like it because there was so much stuff about what we have to do and not so much about Jesus right, and the gospel. But, but it's there. It's not that he doesn't believe the gospel, but it's just a very practical book, talking about you know, how we should live as Christians. And in this chapter, James is going to continue on with that theme on how we should live, but talking about specifically our tongues and how we will speak. So let's look at this passage of James chapter 3 together today. Now, a long time ago when I was in, I think it was university, start of university, I got my first car. And my friends fondly called it um, the helicopter. It was a maroon Mitsubishi Magna. And they called it the helicopter, not because it smoothly flew around really fast, but because the, the noise that it made was so loud uh, that it was like a helicopter. It was like, I don't even know. Right? You'd know I was 
nearly you know, around because you could hear me turn before I turned around the corner. Right? That's how loud this car was. Uh, my, my uncle had given it to me for free. And you might think that's so generous of him. What a generous man. Uh, but he gave it to me because it was breaking down. And he wasn't going to get any money for it. And so he said, literally, use it until it breaks down. And so I took it. And it was breaking down. Right? So much of it didn't work. Right? The radio didn't work. Um, when it was hot, I don't know what the car was made of, but it was made like an oven. And so it'd be like two times hotter in the car than outside. I don't know why. The air conditioner also didn't work, and so now you're stuffed when it's hot. And you want to pull down the windows, but it wasn't an automatic window car. Some of us, we don't even know what else is there. There's manual windows. If, 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 if you're old enough, you had to wind it down. But the window was broken that if you wanted to open or close, it was a two-handed operation. So I had to hold the window and slowly let it down, or else if I just wind it down, it would just slam down. And if I wanted to pull it up, I had to gently guide it up, or else it just stay down. The trunk was a death trap. It was super heavy, and you had to use two hands to hold it. That's how heavy the trunk was. And if you put the trunk up, and then you reach in to get something without knowing, it would slam down and probably kill you. Right? I'm not even joking. It, would, it wouldn't stay up. And so you'd have to hold it with one hand to get something out of your car. But that, that's the kind of car I had. Many occasions it would just break down at a red light right, for, for no reason, and I couldn't get it to start again. Right? It might be easier to list the things that did work than didn't work. But with all its faults, right, one thing did work, the steering wheel. The steering wheel worked. I don't know we don't really think about the steering wheel much, but because the steering wheel worked, I was happy to drive it. You see, I'd rather drive my Mitsubishi Magna with the steering wheel working, than a Porsche where the steering wheel isn't working. The steering wheel is really important. We don't think about that much. We don't get into a new car and think, wow, look at the steering wheel. It's, it's so smooth and round. I love the steering wheel. Right? We look at the, you know, the, the material that the car's made of. We look at the big screen in the middle. We look at the plush chairs. But the steering wheel, small and often overlooked, is a vitally important part of the car. And what James is saying today is that our tongues are like that. Often overlooked, hidden, small. And we don't think too much about our tongues, but our tongues are vitally important in our lives. They're powerful to influence not just my life, but to to determine the direction of my life, and then also to influence the people around us. And so we're going to look at the power of the tongue today, and I've got three points. The first is about the tongue's innate power. The tongue, whether you know it or not, whether we utilize it or not, is a very powerful thing. And to make this point, James gives three metaphors. The first two is the horse and the ship. So verse three to four, let's read. James says, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. Now the horse and the ship are very powerful beasts. Back at the time of James, you could say that they are the most powerful beasts that they had, in a sense. The horse, the beast of the land, and the ship, the beast of the waters. 
And nothing was more powerful or influential at that time. The horse can carry over 100 kilograms. A horse weighs from 300 kilograms up to 900 kilograms. Did you know that? I googled that. I was like, what? 900 kilograms. If you get on the wrong side of a horse, it'll kick you and you'll be really hurt. You might die. Very powerful. Ship, the beast of the waters. Right? Used for transport, you know, carrying people and things across the raging seas and the strong winds. And yet despite their power, James points out, both the horse and the ship is controlled by something very small, often overlooked and hidden. The horse is controlled, he says, by the bit. You put that little thing in the mouth of the horse, and you don't even see it because it's in the horse's mouth, and yet that little piece of wood in the horse's mouth will control it and influence it. It has much power. Similarly, in a ship, there's a small rudder under the water that we don't even see, and yet that influences and has power over the ship. And so it is with the tongue, James says, verse 5. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Our tongues, hidden away in our mouths. We don't think too much about it, and yet it is very, very powerful. But the tongue isn't just powerful. James goes on to say it is both powerful for great good or powerful for great evil. So verse 5. The tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And this is the third metaphor that James uses to talk about the tongue. It's a horse, a ship, and now fire. Now when you and I think about fire, we instinctively understand that a small spark is very powerful. But it's also powerful for great good or great evil. But there's nothing like the warmth of a fire. I don't know if you've ever been really cold and you get next to a fire or a heater and it just warms you down to your bones. Right? Um, Matt happens to be here. We, our first camping trip we went on, um, we had no idea what we were doing. And there was this kind of, we were tr- walking along the coast and it was getting not- to nighttime and we pitched our tent in the middle of this kind of grass area overlooking the water. I think it was like a cliff and the water's on that side. Uh, we pitched the tent, and in the middle of the night, it started to rain. And my great friend Matt brought the tent, but he brought a beach tent. Now, I don't know if you know beach tents. They're made to keep the sun out, but not to keep the rain out. And so the rain started you know, entering the tent. It got into all our sleeping bags, and we were like shivering. It was so cold. Like, I've never gone through a night that was as long as that night. Like, literally just counting the minutes, waiting for the sun to rise up. But when the sun rose up and we got out of our wet clothes and the sun was warming our bodies, that feeling was the greatest. Right? There's nothing like the warmth of fire right, when you're cold. And yet at the same time, fire can be used for great evil. Not just to warm, but to ruin And in Australia, we understand the power of fire to devastate, to blaze down forests or houses or cities. And when you think about the horse and the ship, it's not too different. Used for great good, for harvest, for transport, for trade. And yet the horse and the ship is also the war horse and the warship able to be used for great evil. 
And so the first thing that you know, James is telling us is that the, power, the, the tongue is powerful. Now, your tongue is innately powerful whether we think about it that way or not, whether we give it conscious effort into how am I using my words or not, it is very, very powerful. And we've been on the giving and receiving end of this power, each of us. The warmth of words, an encouraging word, a loving word, a caring word. Or when someone sits down and through their words show that they really are interested in you. It matters so much. And at the same time, the power of words to cut you down. A harsh word. A word about people are talking about you behind your back. These things break your day. Another difference between you giving up or going on. You know, as Christians, when we get to the Bible, we understand the power of words right from the first pages. God created the universe with words. Even today, God speaks to us through his word. When Jesus came to earth, John says the word became flesh. And we are made in the image of God. Our words are powerful, not in the same way God's words are. God creates things that don't exist by the power of his words. We don't have that power. And yet, as made in his image, he allows our words to be somewhat powerful. To have influence and effect on the people around us. The book of Proverbs says this. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. In your mouths. That little piece of muscle, I think, sorry, (laughs) the doctors can correct me. That little thing in your mouth has the power of life and death, James says. You know, our words, God has deemed our words to be able to bring people from death to life. To tell them about Jesus, that they might repent and meet him. That is in your mouths. What you said this week. What you're going to say this week is very, very influential. Rarely do we speak and the people around us are unaffected. When we speak, we're changing things. I want us to know that. But James goes on and he focuses on the negative aspects of the tongue. And so let's look at that. Number two, the tongue's deadly power. James says two things about the tongue. And the first thing is that the tongue is destructive. Verse 5 to 6, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And so this is the negative of fire. It sets forests on fire and it destroys them. Verse 6, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. James says a lot of things in these verses, but he's talking about the evil of the tongue and the ability of the tongue to do evil and bring destruction. James calls the tongue unrighteousness. It stains the body. It stains the members. It's influencing those around us for bad. And the destruction that it brings is not just for this moment. He says it wreaks havoc for the entire course of life. The things that we say determine the direction that we go. Sometimes we say something really bad and that friendship is broken forever. Right, for the entire course of life. 
The things that we say at our work might influence right, our promotions or you know, our relationships with the team. Right? Our tongue is very powerful and unfortunately often destroys things. You know, we grew up hearing this phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. And I kind of understand why you might say that to a kid, but in reality, that's just not true. The bruises from stones may heal in a week or a month, but the bruises left by words often last a lifetime. The power of words to do evil. We see it when people are slandered. News talks about a celebrity and, you know, instantly uh, they fall from their height. When there's rumors going on about a friend and it just spreads like fire. I don't know why gossip spreads so quickly, but everyone knows it straight away. And that person can't walk around publicly anymore. With words, nations go to war. And with words, they find peace. The tongue is destructive. And yet James also says that the tongue is uncontrollable. Verse 7. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. I don't know if you've been to Taronga Zoo. Um, One of my favorite things at Taronga Zoo is the bird show. The seal show is pretty good. But the bird show, if you go to Taronga Zoo, you've got to see the bird show. When you sit through the bird show right at the end, um, they release like all these birds. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Okay, okay. when you get a kid, you'll go to Taronga Zoo and you'll sit through this stuff. They release all these birds and the music is really beautiful. And the birds are like, shh, and like a bunch of doves fly across this way and they land on that tree. This big like eagle thing flies across there and it falls to the ground. And their birds are flying all over the air. And every time I sit through the bird show, I think to myself, why don't they fly away? I, I'm just, they're just, it's amazing. Like they're just fly, they, they should just fly away and be free. I mean, the seals in the seal show, they can't go anywhere, right? They're stuck there. But the birds, they are so tamed that they don't even fly away. And I'm just so amazed that we can tame birds to fly around just to where we want them to go, but not any further. And yet James says, we can do these amazing things with animals. You can make your dog or your cat at home sit, or maybe not your cat, I don't think they listen to you. The dog, you can make your dog sit, but you can't tame your tongue. We can't even control the words that come out of our mouths. I don't know if you've ever tried to control your words. If we determined, every single one of us, if we said, from this week, I'm never going to use my words for evil. I'm only going to use my words to help people. We would fail. I remember when I first became a Christian, I decided never to swear again. I had no reason to. I didn't want to anymore. I'm going to cut out those words from my life. And that's when I realized how hard it is to control your tongue. I didn't want to swear, but I'd just be like, and it just come out. It's like my tongue had a, had a mind of its own. We've been in fights where we don't want to say that hard thing, the harsh thing, the, the cutting word, and yet it just seems to come out of our minds. We, we seem to not be able to control the tone of our voice, the volume as the argument goes on. Our volume keeps going louder. And here's the thing. When you have something destructive and uncontrollable, it's deadly. 
If you have something destructive and uncontrollable, it's deadly. As if, if it's just one of these things, it's okay. If you have something that is destructive, as long as you can control it, it's okay. It's like a knife, destructive, but in the hands of an adult or a chef, it's okay. Right? It's not dangerous. Or if you have something that's uncontrollable, as long as it's not harmful, not destructive, that's okay as well. The toy in the hands of my child, it's uncontrollable, right? Zoe's going to stick everything in her mouth and poke people with it. As long as it's not harmful, that's okay as well. But when you put these two things together, it's very deadly. Something destructive that you cannot control, well, then it's going to wreak havoc on you and the people around you. It's like my Mitsubishi Magna, very heavy, made of vibranium or something, but it's uncontrollable, then it's going to wreak havoc. It's going to be deadly. And James says, in our sinful nature, that is the state of our tongue. You look around the world, you look at your workplace, you, you just see the havoc that the tongue brings, the destruction it brings in relationships, right? the way it ruins workplaces with the gossip and the slander. That is the tongue unleashed in its full sinfulness. And though it seems utterly hopeless, James gives a hint to a solution. Right in verse 8, he says, No human being can tame the tongue. No human being can tame the tongue. Right, but for us believers, as we believe in Jesus and the Spirit lives in us, he will help us tame what is untamable for us. The Holy Spirit will help us tame this restless evil. Right? What is impossible with God, what is impossible with man, sorry, is possible with God. And so the tongue is innately powerful, whether you think about it or not, for good or for evil. And unfortunately, it's often for evil, right? for deadly purposes. And now third, James talks about the tongue's revealing power. In verse 8, James says this, no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Now that word restless came up before in James chapter 1, verse 8. In that passage from the Greek, it's translated in English to the double-minded man. That same word, double-minded man. And Pastor Peter, he preached that passage and he explained how it describes a person who doesn't have a singular focus or we're meant to, as Christians, have a focus only on God, but the double-minded man or woman is kind of like they love God, but they love the world. Or they believe in God, but they also trust in other things. It's like they're wishy-washy back and forth in their faith, right? Two feet in two boats. And that's really what James is talking about here. The double-mindedness of the tongue. How our tongues aren't only used for godly things, but often, even for Christians, for godly and evil. Right, so verse 9 to 10, James says, With our tongues, we bless our Lord and Father, and, on the other hand, we, with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Do you see the double-mindedness of the tongue? It's doing this and that. It's being good and bad. You praise God, but then you slander. Right in the worship service, um, 
people are giving glory to God, and then during snack time, even though we don't have it right now, during snack time, people are like, oh, did you hear about so-and-so? With the same tongue, James says. The couple on the way to church is having a big heated argument, and then steps into worship, and they, they worship God, right? We've all been there. It's that double-mindedness of the tongue. And James says, my brothers, these things ought not to be so. Christian, that's not the way it's meant to be, even though it might be. When we see in our lives, our tongues both doing good and evil, praising God and condemning others, right? talking about Jesus in the Bible study, but then going to gossip and slander, these things ought not to be so. We shouldn't be okay with the fact that that's the way our tongues are being used. And we should repent and fight to make sure our words are only godly. Right, we saw last week that saving faith works. Right, if you're here with us, true saving faith must produce good works. And if you are not producing good works, you should investigate whether you have saving faith. And an example of godly works is today. Godly words. We should have godly words. That's a product of our saving faith. But if in our lives we are consistently producing evil words, words that cut down and break down, words that are not loving and encouraging, well then maybe our bad works is revealing something about our faith. And that is worth investigating. James says in verse 11 to 12, does the spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Again, the answer is no. He's saying a spring should only produce one kind of water. Verse 12, can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. And in verse 12, that's the analogy I used last week. You know, the apple tree that's producing orange fruit and, you know, everyone got confused, you know. An apple tree produces orange fruit. It, it, I'm sorry, it shouldn't produce oranges. If that happens, <laughs> something's going on, right? And that's what James is saying. That's not the way it should be. Christians don't produce destructive, uncontrollable words. And the reality is on this side of heaven, we're not going to get it perfect. But by the grace of God and the work of the Spirit, we should see our words being molded in the hands of God to do more and more good to help those around us and not harm them. That's the trajectory the Christian is on. And so in this passage, James has really confronted us with two questions. These are the two questions I want us to think about. And the first is, what do you say? This week, what did you say? This coming week, what will you say? What are the words coming out of your mouth? Because the words that you say are very, very powerful. And as James pointed out, unfortunately, often to do evil. But what do you say? Do your words warm those around you or do they ruin? Do they help or do they harm? Do they build up or do they break down? What do you say? But the second question James is asking us, which is the question he's asking us in this, these verses, is what does what you say say about you? If that's what you say, well, what does that say about you? Again, because if it's constantly evil, unhelpful, harmful, destructive words, then maybe 
Those works, those words say something about your faith. The Christian should produce godly words, helpful words, loving words, encouraging words, words that don't just want to win an argument, but words that want to help your spouse. Raise your child in a loving environment. Those are the words of a godly person. The words of a child of God. Not the words that originate from hell. Jesus says, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What comes out of your mouth starts in your heart. And so when you look at your words, it gives you a glimpse at what's going on in here. Right? What does what you say say about you? Now James in this passage doesn't really go on to talk about the good things of the, the tongue. You know, but as Christians, again, as the, God helps us through his spirit, the purpose that God wants for our tongues is that this once evil, hurtful thing might be redeemed to be used for great good. That God would use the tongue in the place of the church or back in your workplace or in your families to do much good. And there's two things that God wants our words to do. Right? Before, before that, I just want to read Ephesians 4. By the power of the Spirit, we can live lives like this. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up. This is what God wants from us, where our words only build others up. And there's two ways this shows up. To save. Right, I talked about this. But God has designated you and your words to be the means by which people will be saved. The key means by which the people that you know, the people around the world, the people at your workplace might be saved. Right? Romans talks about how everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But Paul says for them to be saved, they need to believe, but to believe, they need to call, right? they, they need to hear, but for them to hear, someone needs to go and speak to them about it. You need to go speak to them for them to be saved. Right? That's the power of our tongues. But also the second thing is that God wants our words to strengthen. You see, here's the thing. Often our tongues are the reason why people leave the church. Because of the things that we say. Because of the gossip that goes around. Because our words just aren't helpful. But God wants to redeem those very tongues and use it to make sure people don't leave the church. Right? We looked at this passage at the start of this year, Hebrews chapter 3. In this passage, the author warns the Christians, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. Make sure you don't fall away from God, he says. And then verse 13, he gives the solution, exhort one another every day. How do we make sure people don't turn away from God? We speak into each other's lives. God wants to use your tongue to make sure the people around you don't leave the faith. Right? That thing that often makes people leave God, he wants to redeem to make sure that they don't. You know, at Kingsway, I just got to add this in. You know, we love to joke around. We're super comfortable you know, I didn't really realize this because I think I'm so embedded into the culture of Kingsway and, you know, at the previous church. But I've heard on numerous occasions that often our joking goes a little too far. 
you know, a trolling culture. And we say things out of jest, and maybe some people are laughing. But at the end of the day, if people are not leaving feeling loved and encouraged and uplifted, then our words have failed to do their job. It doesn't matter if some people are laughing, right, if other people are hurting. Right? And I want us to, as a church, make sure our words are being used to build up and not break down. So let me close. We've seen that our tongues have innate power, small, hidden, often overlooked. We don't think too much about our tongues, and yet they are greatly powerful and greatly influential for good and for evil. And unfortunately, we often see the deadly power in our lives, at our workplaces, in this world. And if our words are only deadly, destructive and uncontrollable, well, that reveals something about us. On the flip side, if your words are being you know, molded to do good things more and more, that's positive and helpful, and it reveals that God is at work in your life. Let me close with an analogy. You know, I remember when I was younger, um, I think in high school, we went to Star City Buffet with my family. I don't know if you've been there before, kind of expensive. But I remember going and we sit down and my parents grab that big plate for buffet food, get anything you want. I don't know if your parents are like this. They went straight to one place, to the seafood section, and they just piled their plates full of prawns, right? That was the best. They didn't have lobsters back then, just, just prawn. Not, nothing else, just prawn. And they'd come back to the table, just, just a pile of prawns, and they'd eat the prawns. And they'd eat it, and they're left with a shell of prawns. And they'd go straight back to the prawn place with another plate of prawns, and that, that's all they eat. And, you know, back then, I, like, honestly, I was a bit embarrassed. I was like, at least pretend to try other things. That's what I do. So I'd go around, I'd be like, no, have a little bit of this, have a little bit of this, and I'd grab a bunch of prawns, but like I'd pretend at least to try stuff. But you know, looking back now, my parents were absolutely right. <laughs> right. I don't know if that means I'm a parent now and I'm getting old. But you know, here's the thing, when you go to a buffet, everything costs the same. Everything is free. The most expensive, the, the thing that used to be expensive, right, the best thing, the prawn, Costs the same as the average food. Costs the same as the bad food. So why waste your stomach space with anything less than the best, right? Why, why, why go anywhere else? It all costs the same. You know, every day we get to choose as Christians, not what goes into our mouths, but what comes out of it. And every morning we wake up to a buffet of words. And here's the thing about words, they all cost the same. The best words don't cost any more than the average ones or the bad ones that leave a bad taste in our mouths. The words that are loving and encouraging and help those around us, that build them up, that help them keep going, that makes their day, does not cost any more than the words that crush them and break them. So why waste our words on anything less than the best, than anything that is worthy of a child of God? Each of us get to make that choice every single day. Which words will you choose to use in the buffet of words that is before you? My encouragement is that we would use only the best ones. 
Right, Kingsway, our words are powerful to bring life or death like fire to warm or ruin. Let's use it for God's glory and the good of people today. Let's close our eyes and let's pray. And as we pray, why don't we do two things? Why don't we first repent that we might have used our words and our tongues for evil this week to cut people down, you know, to gossip, to slander and the arguments that we had this week, the ways we talked behind the back of our friends or our boss, the way that we didn't think consciously and purposefully about the things that come out of our mouths. And as we repent, knowing that we are forgiven in Jesus Christ, why don't we ask Him for help? Holy Spirit, do what is impossible for man. Tame this restless tongue and make my words godly and good and helpful and loving. And I determine this week to purposefully use my words to build other people up, to help and not to harm, to encourage and to bless the people in the church, the people back at home, my spouse, my children, my friends. God, use this powerful tongue for your glory and the good of others. Let's make that our prayer, Kingsway, and let's give our lives to God. Let's pray. that you would help me.